everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. Oh, man. This is not one of those shows where I look forward to talking about a lot of fun things. Uh, it was another disappointing week for Bayern Munich, of course. The club was eliminated from the Champions League this week against Manchester City. Uh, they did earn a 1-1 draw with City at the Allianz Arena on the very shoddy pitch, which everyone is being very quick to point out. Uh, and I will say it was not a match that, while even though there were some really good things going on, it was not one that's going to inspire a lot of confidence in what this team has planned in the short term or the long term. Uh, it's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, the team itself, the roster, the players, they look a little confused and out of sync. There's uh, at least some rumors of upheaval in the front office. It is just uh, a mess. It's FC Hollywood in every single way. We've had fights. We've had coach sackings. We've had rumors of executives being canned. This is the bad, bad end of FC Hollywood that we are sitting. I guess you would call it the skid row of FC Hollywood. Uh, this is not exactly where anyone wants to be. This is not where fans want to be. It's just been bad. So I could go on and on about that. And I will touch on a lot of those topics later on. But in fairness to those folks who are tuning in to this for the preview show, I'm going to give you just that because after all, Bayern Munich still has to try and wrap up the Bundesliga, which is no sure thing by any means. And they are going to have a big match against Mainz this weekend. Bayern Munich will go on the road to play the Carnival Club. And it won't be as easy as I think a lot of people are anticipating. I think we're going to see some things from Bayern Munich that are indicating that the club is starting to look toward next season and start to figure out some of its hard roster decisions that they're going to have to make. How that impacts the team over the course of the rest of the season, I guess, remains to be seen. But uh, we'll start to get a vision on that uh, on Saturday. So let's take a look at how things are really going to progress here. And we'll get that going by looking at the table. Bayern Munich, of course, after 28 match days, is sitting in first place atop the table. 17 wins, 8 draws, 3 losses. They have 59 points. They have scored 78 goals in the league and allowed 30 over the course of their last five league games, Bayern Munich has three wins, one loss, and one draw. Last week was a very disappointing 1-1 effort against Hoffenheim. Uh, I would like to say that maybe Bayern Munich was looking past Hoffenheim and focused on Man City, but I don't actually believe that because anyone with half a brain could have realized that Bayern Munich had zero shot at scoring four goals and holding Man City to none. Uh, in the Champions League. So I don't really think even the players were distracted in thinking they they were going to be able to catch City and move on. Uh, that was a pipe dream, I think, for everyone. While we look at Mainz, however, they have been a very surprising team. They are doing much better than I thought they, than I honestly thought they ever would. Through 28 match days, they have 11 wins, nine draws, and only eight losses. Uh, for 42 points, which really, it has them in a tie with Eintracht Frankfurt. Frankfurt, of course, has the tiebreaker edge, so they are sitting in seventh. But this Mainz squad is only two points out from a berth 
for European play. So Mainz is going to be motivated for this. I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to be ready to play. And even getting a point would be massive for Mainz and their hopes to qualify for, I guess, what would be the Europa Conference League, um, at least the qualification portion of that. So uh, Mainz is not going to just roll over. Over the course of their last five games, they are undefeated now. That includes four draws and one win. That win was a surprising 3-0 victory over Leipzig back on March 31st. But uh, let's just be honest here. Mainz is playing pretty well. They're coming up against a Bayern team that is in transition with its roster that is really trying to just grind out the rest of the season and move on. Uh, but Byron only holds a two-point advantage over Dortmund, so this game does mean a lot to them as well. It's not as if Bayern Munich can look past Mainz. I don't think Mainz is going to make this easy. That said, a lot of this game is going to come down on come down to talent, and Bayern, of course, will be the more talented side. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about what's going on in terms of how these teams match up. I think when you look at Mainz, you have to you have to factor in a couple of things. They're going to play tough this season. They're going to try and limit your chances. And I think especially in this match, even though we've seen Mainz sometimes uh, get into a little bit of a swashbuckling mode, I think they're going to play this one smart. Bo Svensson is doing a good job of keeping this team relevant and competitive in the Bundesliga at a time where if you look at this roster – uh, it's it's really difficult to see how they're really doing as well as they are. And it's not a knock on them as much as it is just uh, a lot of credit going out to Bo Svensson and, and how these players have come together as a unit. When you when you just peruse the roster, you see a couple of names that jump out. Robin Zentner, of course, as a goalkeeper, uh, I think is pretty solid. And I think that at least a little bit underrated in today's standards, but does a really nice job for Mainz. The other big name, I think a lot of people in Germany, especially German national team fans, would like to keep an eye on is Anton Stach, who has been kind of teetering on the edge of being a player that Hansi Flick would call uh, with Jonathan Burkhardt nursing a bit of an injury uh, right now. You know, we won't have the opportunity to see him most likely, or you know, really at all. Um, given the, sta- the state of his injury. But Anton Satch is a player who I think a lot of people will want to watch. They'll want to see how he does over the course of this match and see how he does playing against Bayern Munich. I think he's a quality player. Don't know if he's quite German national team material at this point, although you could make the argument that maybe they should open up the books a little bit just because they're not really doing anything with the talent that's currently on the roster. Um Marcus Ingvartsen and Kareem Anisiwo are two of the primary goal scorers for Mainz. Uh, listen, they each have nine goals in the league. They've done a nice job. It's not as if this is some kind of offensive juggernaut that 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 Mainz has. Uh, it is really just a matter of them functioning well as a unit and being focused on trying to secure points at every opportunity. Now, for Bayern Munich, facing this Mainz team does present some issues. Uh, I would say that Bayern Munich is not coming into this match with the best of mentalities. I don't think that Bayern Munich is really looking at the, I guess what I want to say is they're not really looking at this as, as a must win at a time where maybe they really need to. 
Uh, the team is reeling a bit. They haven't been consistent. They really honestly haven't played that well under Tuchel. Uh, since Thomas Tuchel has been hired, it's 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 been really tough. He has been unable to really find the right combination of players. He's struggling to put players in the right positions. He's definitely not nailing his starting 11s. He's, I mean, he's making some of the players unhappy. We've seen a fight under his watch in the locker room. It's not been good. And as much as I want to say that Tuchel probably shouldn't be judged on this season because he got brought in at the absolute worst time, it's 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 not good. And he's not doing anything to really make people feel confident. Now, he's got a great reputation. We know he's a very good coach from what he's done at some of his other stints. But this has not been good. It has not been good by any means. And I'm not sure that if Byron really wants to start its experimentation phase with its roster, that this is the week to do it. I don't think Mainz is going to make this an easy one. So how will Bayern Munich line up for this match? Now, the starting 11 is one that has this decision has been under contention each of Thomas Tuchel's match weeks. He has absolutely not been able to get a feel on it. He's admitted that, that they're trying to trying different things. They're trying to learn about the players. The players are trying to learn about the coach. Either way, doesn't matter. Tuchel has not been doing a good job with it. But what we do know is that Bayern Munich now is looking at this the rest of the season as an opportunity to figure out what it needs to do ahead of the summer transfer window. So let's take a look at who's going to start, at least my guess, at who Thomas Tuchel is going to select to start. A goalkeeper, I think we'll see Jan Sommer, the much maligned Jan Sommer. I think he's done a, a, a decent job. He's been very good. Yeah, He is the least of Bayern Munich's problems at this point. Uh, but he, at, at this stage, I mean, his only competition on the roster is Sven Ulreich, who I don't think Bayern needs to see any more of. I think they know that Ulreich is a second or third goalkeeper on a roster at this point. He's a great locker room guy, but he's not here to necessarily play matches. So Summer will get the call. As far as the center backs go, uh, Diopa Makano had another rough match against Man City. I think it's going to be time for him to take a seat. And not because he's a bad player, but I just think he needs a game to clear himself. He's had a couple of tough matches against Manchester City. Didn't think he was great against Hoffenheim. It's a good opportunity to give Benjamin Pavar some center back minutes. So I think we will see Pavar and Delict at center back. I think at right back, we are going to see Nusar Mizrawi finally. Uh, he went to the media to complain about his lack of playing time, which now... This is what I was worried about when Ryan Gravenberg started this trend back in the fall, that if you have that kind of crack and you have a young player doing that, that it's just going to lead to more players going to the media and bitching about things. So that's what you're getting now. So you have Nusar Mizrahi go and complain. I think he, he's got a, a little bit of a point, but at the same time, you know, he had the COVID related issues. He was he's been in practice. So, I mean, unless Tuchel has some kind of bias against him, maybe he just hasn't performed that well in training. I mean, it's tough to argue that Benjamin Pavar should be benched because Pavar's been, he's been really good. In my mind, he's been one of Bayern Munich's best players all season. So I don't know that taking him out really for the sake of just playing Nusar rally solves anything, but I do think given the circumstances, you can slide Pavar in this week. You'll get to see Mizrahi play right back. And over at left back, I think we'll see Alfonso Davies get the nod. I did not like Davies 
being on the bench against Man City. And and you know, if you have listened to me, I have been highly critical of Davies this season. I think he's been distracted. I think he's been unfocused. I think he's lost the ball way too much. But sitting him in favor of Jao Cancelo, who is just a loney with this club, who has no defined future with this club, and who may or may not be a player that Byron wants to bring back, was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous decision by Thomas Tuchel. And I know Kinsella's got his faithful fans and they'll shred me like they always do every time I say something like this. But Kinsella is the same player that a couple of weeks ago did not celebrate with the team. And yes, I'll go right in the face saying this. He absolutely should not get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to the starting 11, just for that reason. He is not a part of the club. He is just a loney. He is a player with a very debatable future with the club. Does Byron really want to pay the 50 to 70 million euro that it might cost to get him? Why would they? What has he shown so far during his tenure at Bayern Munich to say that he should deserve that? So in my mind, big mistake by Tuchel, one of many mistakes Tuchel has made so far. But either way, you can rectify that a little bit by playing Davies this week. And oh, by the way, Davies is due to have contract negotiations with the club this summer at a time where Manchester city and Real Madrid are chasing him pretty hard off this uh, behind the scenes, apparently. So good luck with that. Uh, trying to deal with Davies after you just benched him in the champions league in the central midfield. I think that Yashua Kimmich is a shoe in the start, but I also think that Leon Gretzka is headed to the bench. I think that we're going to see Ryan grab Ryan Gravenberg get some time, uh, and how he performs in the first half will probably determine how long he plays in this match. If he cannot get up to the standard he needs to be at, I think we could see a Goretzka substitution as early as halftime, probably no later than the 60th minute. But I think Gravenberg now is going to get a look. If the club is really viewing this game as, as, so, as one that they should win and one that they're not worried about, then they'll start Gravenberg and they'll put Gretzka on the bench and they'll see what Gravenberg can do. So Gretzka and well, Gretzka on the bench with Kimmich and Gravenberg starting in the central midfield. The attack is going to have a different look as well. I think we're going to go with Jamal Musiala as the 10 and Thomas Muller will continue his tenure on the bench. I think the wings, you have to start Kingsley Coman because he has been that good. And I think that you will see Leroy Sané uh, over on the other wing. I think that Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane are probably on their last legs at Bayern Munich. It, it might be tough to get rid of Mane. I don't know who would want to buy him at any reasonable price and then have to pay him that ridiculous salary. Gnabry just hasn't gotten on track. I actually kind of feel bad for him because he's been a good soldier. I know he had the issue going to fashion week earlier this season. And it was probably ill-advised to do that at that particular juncture, but he's been a good player. He's been a good teammate. It, he just hasn't been that consistent on the pitch. And unfortunately in the business of football, it's tough for Bayern Munich to continue to play so many, to pay so many players upwards of 20 million, if they're not producing at the requisite level for that pay scale. So I, I expect that Gnabry and Mane will probably be shopped. If there are buyers for them, that's a whole different story, especially at a price where Bayern Munich feels like it's worth it to sell them. So Coman and Sané on the wings, Musiala at the 10, who Musiala still in my mind is not on track, but seems like Tuchel doesn't like Thomas Muller. So that's just how things are going to be. 
The interesting selection this week is at the nine. Eric Maxim Chupomoting did come back against Man City. I didn't think he was all that effective. Now, there are varying reports out there, including one by The Athletic, that states that Chupomoting did exactly what he was supposed to do, which was occupy the attention of the center backs, which is great, except if if that's what his role was, you, you could have gotten a lot of different players to just occupy attention. You really, in my mind, want that nine to be a player who can go out and score. And if Tuchel's game plan is to use your striker as more of a decoy or as someone to occupy the center backs while the wings try and provide the goals, he's going to have a very short tenure as the Bayern Munich coach. Because for all of the good things that the Bayern Munich wings can do, finishing is not their forte, especially Coman and Sané. Both great players. Sané is a better finisher than Coman. They are great at disrupting defenses. They are great at creating offense. They have not been great at finishing. Uh, so in, in my mind, if that's what you want to do, it's the wrong move. But anyway, I think we're going to see Matisse tell at the nine. Florian Plettenberg stated in one of his tweets today, today being Thursday, that we will see more of tell the rest of the season. And I think, honestly, if you're going to make some changes to the starting 11, this is a pretty seamless one to make. I think tell is a little more dangerous than Chupo Moting. Uh, Chupo might be more steady. He might be more sure of himself on the ball and probably would make less mistakes. But I think you need some kind of element of danger, someone that has a nose for the goal. And if anything, Tell has that. And again, Tell could be a player who at some point projects as more of a wing, and that wouldn't surprise me. But right now, it's worth giving him a run to see what he can do as a striker. And what we do know is that his speed and his movement have given him the ability to get open and create offense for himself. So he hasn't always been the best at decision-making in the final third. There have been times this season where he's forced shots instead of making an easy pass to set up a teammate. That's something that we'll have to really take a look at if he does start this match. But I do think that uh, he gets the start, and I think that he likely will take advantage of that. As far as the prediction goes for this match, I would say that Bayern Munich will win this one 2-1. I don't think it will be easy. I think Mainz is really going to fight them. I will caveat all this by saying that if Mainz parks the bus and for somehow gets an early goal that Bayern Munich will not win the match, that there will be no massive comeback. Uh, I think at best, if Mainz scores first, especially early on, that the best Bayern will be able to hope for is a draw. And that would be catastrophic for Bayern Munich's Bundesliga title chances. Uh, it would really reopen the race up with Dortmund. In, in a lot of ways, in my mind, this is a must win for Bayern Munich, but I guess I care about the Bundesliga title. I'm not so sure that their main focus is on that right now, like it probably should be. To me, it seems like they're doing a lot of trying to figure out where these players fit under Thomas Tuchel and not really securing the league crown first, which is always a mistake in my eyes. So that's where I see the Bayern Munich versus Mainz matchup. Uh, tune in and watch it and check us out at BFW for all the coverage that we'll have. You know, we'll be covering that in depth to say the least now that we move on to the normal portions of our program where we talk about all the craziness that happens over the course of the week where else do you get started other than the fallout of the manchester city Bayern munich tie in the champions league so much has happened since that game ended if you have not heard me on the post game show there i encourage you to check that out uh, please do. I gave you my instant reaction to everything, what my takes were on the game and where that was all kind of headed directly after that in the aftermath. So check that out to get all of those feelings. But some of the other things that have emerged 
since that recording and since the game ended, I mean, we have seen some crazy things. And one of the biggest things that has come out has been the rumored sacking of CEO Oliver Kahn. Now, Kahn has not exactly overseen a powerhouse being built at Bayern Munich. He took over a great team uh, as the CEO, has been very indecisive as the leading executive for the club in terms of the direction of this team. To me, it was a huge red flag when you hire, you go to the lengths to hire Julian Nagelsmann that you did and decide a year and a half later that you no longer see him as the person to lead you into your next generation. Where all of the planning went into getting Nagelsmann and all the things that we heard about Nagelsmann and what the club thought about him and where they thought he could take this club, it all disappeared in a year and a half. And that type of indecision is an absolute killer because not only did it affect the players on the field and their performances, which we saw as the club was eliminated from both the Pokal and Champions League, but it has hurt the long-term vision for this. And I do want to talk about that long-term vision because when Khan was hired as the CEO, he had really burst onto the scene with presentations and giving the Bayern Munich employees, not just the players, but the employees, a long-term strategic vision of what he wanted to do with the club, how he wanted to expand the club's horizons, how he wanted to get the most out of every employee at the club. And as someone who has been in corporate America for over 20 years, I am someone who have, I've sat through these exact presentations. I have heard all the BS and nonsense spewed at me. And the one thing that always rings true, no matter what industry you were in, no matter who is giving that talk, if someone is going down that long-term strategic vision road with very, all the bells and whistles of great presentations and, and all of the great graphics within those, uh, the one thing that always reigns true is that when you hear that and you see that there's a plan and they lay out, this is where we want to be, there very rarely is a strategy for how to get there. And when Khan came into Bayern Munich and he started giving these kind of presentations and talking to the media about where Bayern Munich wanted to be, he never once talked about how they would get there. It's great to talk about what you want, where you want to be how powerful you think you can be. But unless you have an idea of how to actually get there, if unless you have a roadmap for how to get there on each step of the way, it's all nonsense. And I said this in our BFW Slack channel, and I was trying to recall if I actually wrote about this because at the time I didn't want to come down as very negative about the hire. I didn't want to be the person that was the, the wet blanket, right? I didn't want that to be me. But I did talk to my fellow BFW colleagues about that. I did actually go on and on for quite a bit. And luckily, I Need No Name was there to bail me out and make me remember I wasn't crazy because he and Teddy actually talked about it on the podcast. Uh, they did a podcast and they referenced that I was very skeptical of what Khan was saying and, and the way that the information that he wanted to get out there was being presented. So from the beginning, I've had doubts about what this hire would be. Because when you have Carl Heinz, Rumenega, and Ole Honus, they were meat and potatoes footballers, right? They did two things well. They put great teams on the pitch. They made a lot of money. And there wasn't a whole lot else that went into that. When Oliver Kahn took over, it started to reek of other things being involved. We want to become a global presence. 
great. How do you do that? How do you touch those markets in Latin America or even the United States or Canada? How do you infiltrate those markets effectively? Because it hasn't happened yet. We started to talk about other parts of the company, marketing themselves better, growing Bayern Munich as a brand. All that stuff is great, but you have to have a plan to get there. And Bayern Munich really honestly among clubs has some of the best and brightest minds in football. If you look at the Bayern Munich American office, the job that those folks do on social media and with their marketing and with their branding, it's incredible. The problem from a German standpoint is, are they actually even using those resources that they have in the best possible way? Are they fully utilizing the talents of those people? And you could ask that about each of Bayern's regional offices. You could ask about their, their corporate structure. How are they doing it all? And I'm not someone who's going to sit here and give you a plan for how they could take Khan's vision and make it come to fruition. That's not what I'm paid to do. I'm paid to sit here and listen to it and say, this sounds like BS to me. And I think there are just so many exceptionally talented people working at Bayern Munich. If you ever interact with them, they are some of the best and brightest people friendly, interactive, PR savvy. They do a phenomenal job. But when you see marketing presentations, and that's basically what I think Khan's opening state of the address of the, of the club was, and you see a lack of substance, it was a it was a big red flag. And for me, the transition from this football first mentality to brand first mentality at Bayern Munich, it has been a failure. Uli Honus, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, they had an idea of how the club should be run. They had an idea of what was important, but they also knew that footballing was, while a huge part of it and the primary part of the club, that they needed to also make money to sustain that. So they did a very good job of balancing that. Were they too frugal at times? Maybe, but it worked. And now the allure of playing for Bayern Munich and the German kind of mystique that they had, it's, it's slowly fading away. And part of that has to do with the total lack of substance. Like, what is this club about now? What is their focus? Is it on main building and maintaining and expanding this brand? Or is it, have, is it about having a good football team? And at times, I think that there's been so much focus on all the other stuff that actually the product on the field has gotten less attention than it needs. And I will tell you, I have absolutely been skeptical of some of the things I've seen in terms of Khan's leadership, but the nail in the coffin for me was probably the Nagelsmann firing. And as someone who wasn't always in agreement with everything that Nagelsmann did, it means a lot, honestly, because I felt like that showed the type of indecision and the lack of a long-term plan, the lack of belief in your own long-term plan, or at least alleged long-term plan that, that Khan had. And if you were going to bail on Nagelsmann at that point, at this juncture of the season, knowing the risk you were taking, then you were too indecisive for me to be someone that would be able to lead the club in a very functional way moving forward. Now, it doesn't mean he can't change. All great CEOs make mistakes. And Khan is, in a lot of ways, learning on the job. He had a bit of an apprenticeship there to learn from Karl Heinz Rummenigge, but they have two different management styles. They have two different focuses. So I think Khan is going to have to take a step back and be able to assess the important things. And that starts with the players on the field, the coach leading them. And I think once Khan can refocus and get things headed in the right direction, 
Bayern Munich will be okay, but how long is that going to take? And more importantly, how do you get there? Because I'm not sure anybody at Bayern Munich knows how to get from A to Z on that quest. Some of the other things that came out of the fallout of the Man City uh, ousting in the Champions League, Thomas Tuchel playing the blame game with the referees and the grass. And of course, if you saw our Grassworks special this week, uh, we were able to cover in a breaking news fashion the hiring of the groundskeeper from Wolfsburg, who is going to come in and fix the Bayern Munich turf. And I know it sounds kind of funny that I'm going to dedicate any time to talking about grass on a podcast that's not sponsored by like Scott's Lawn Seed or whatever. But I have to say, Bayern Munich did a, again, this was a, a market in a marketing effort. They did a good thing in getting the NFL in. The bad thing was it had an adverse effect on the Allianz arena pitch because what the NFL did was replace it because it was so torn up. They had to replace the sod. What happened after that is it was terrible. It has not been good since then. It actually wasn't great even before the NFL match, but it's gotten worse since then. And it has steadily went downhill to the point where players were slipping all over the place in a champions league game. And you know, if the players are bitching about it, and then the coach takes time to point out how bad his own home turf is, that there's a problem. So hopefully uh, the fellow from Wolfsburg can come in and get that straightened out because it has not been good on the turf. Uh, it, In fact, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on it, but especially on the people working on the, on the current, uh, uh, the current staff working on the pitch, because it, it has, it has not been good. And I don't think that those play that those people, the current groundskeeping staff could really be held at fault. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible job that the NFL did in replacing it. I think it was a, a cost of a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars, and it, it wasn't worth it. It hasn't held up. It's it's actually been really, really bad for Bayern Munich. And hopefully, Wolfsburg groundskeeper Peter Sauer can come in and and fix this up. I, I'm referring to him as the king of the turf right now because they need someone to come in. They need the support of the entire organization to rally around him, like he's Jon Snow trying to to call his banners to go to war against the Lannisters. Uh, king of the turf they need him in a bad way uh so let's hope that he can come in and make an impact as a summer transfer because i have way more faith that he's going to to be the type of impact player that Bayern munich needs than than uh whoever the hell that thomas tuchel wants to bring in obviously uh, i'm a little bit down on the personnel situation but i am a fan of the grass hiring but anyway tuchel blaming the turf blaming the refs it was came across as weak to me. Did he have points? Yes. Yes. The referee wasn't great. Did the, the turf obviously wasn't great, but it just came across as weak. You know, coach, you didn't, you didn't select a great starting 11. You didn't necessarily do some of the things that were best for your team. And uh, in my mind, you know, I think that to come across and use the media as a platform to blame a referee and blame the turf, just, it was, no other way to say it, but it was just very weak. And I was not a fan of hearing it. Even if he did have, even if he did have a point, you know what, at, at that point, be a professional about it, take the L and move on. Uh, you clearly have some Teflon on you at this point. No one's going to blame you for the losses. The clubs openly said it. So you didn't need to come out and trash the grass. You didn't need to come out and trash the ref, even if he was terrible. <sighs> 
Finally, on this point, I do want to talk about the collapse that Byron has been facing since the hiring of Tuchel. And a lot of people will say, like, oh, you're being hard on him. It was a very unfair situation. These are all some of the same things that I've said about criticizing Tuchel at this stage. It's not a great situation. It's probably not fair to criticize him. But he's also not pushing the right buttons. He's also not getting the most out of this team. And for as much as he's saying he's satisfied with that effort, I wasn't satisfied with it. Listen, they played City tough. They played with a lot of energy. They did a lot of good things. But to be satisfied with a 1-1 draw in the Champions League quarterfinals when you're being eliminated, it doesn't do it for me. Sorry. And maybe I'm a little bit harsh. Maybe I'm a a tougher critic here. But I I could not be satisfied with that result. I can only put myself in, in the place of the coach. And if I was overseeing the team, I would not be happy with that result. Would I be happy with the effort? Absolutely. That was a fiery spirited effort from Bayern Munich. I wish they played like that in every match. Was I happy with the result? No, they couldn't finish anything. They generated a decent amount of chances. They caused disruption, but nothing could get finished. And in two matches against City, they had one goal. It was a PK that a lot of people are arguing shouldn't have been a PK that was called by that same, you know, allegedly terrible referee. So I I don't know where Bayern Munich can go with that. I don't know how anybody could be satisfied with it. The team, in my mind, has taken a couple of steps back from where it was under Nagelsmann. I don't want to rehash where I felt like they were by the time he was fired, but I feel like it's it's a far cry from where they're at right now. Tuchel's got a lot of work to do. He's going to have to figure it out. It's rough right now. Finally, I do want to say uh, there has been a lot of transfer talk this week, and most of it revolves around the number nine position. And I, I feel like we end up hitting on this every week because it's such a gaping hole in Bayern Munich's lineup that every week we see new stories of who's going to be included in uh, the potential list, the shopping list for Bayern Munich and who might not be and who's hot this week versus who's not. It's just been nonstop. So let's give a a quick little segment here on what's going on with the alleged striker hunt and where things stand. But one thing with this striker hunt that has amused me is that after the match against Man City, Brazo came out and basically said the plan, not having a post Lewandowski plan was a team effort that we all failed on it, including the old coaching staff. So he had no problem hanging out Nagelsmann and his staff on that one. And he didn't want to take the full blame for not having somebody who was capable and taking over for Lewandowski. Uh, it, it was crazy to me that he picked that moment to try and take that stance. And I, like, I don't want to come down. I don't want to come down like this, right? I don't want to be the guy sitting here bitching and complaining about all the Byron coaches and executives. I don't want to do that. But when you come out and you pick that time as your forum, to try and deflect the blame. Listen, you are the sporting director. You are in charge of the personnel. You and Marco Nepp are, are the two people that are given the responsibility for ensuring that this roster for one of the top clubs on earth is capable, that there are talented players on it, and that for any possible situation, you have a contingency plan. And what became very evident very early was that there was no contingency plan for Robert Lewandowski. They lost Lewandowski. They had a panic signing in Mane, hoping that would take away some of the uh, hard feelings that people had about losing Lewandowski. And it didn't work. 
Sané was not a striker. He was not someone who could play the way Bayern Munich needed him to. Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting gave this team everything he had and did so admirably for a long time, but he's just not good enough. Matisse Tell might be a striker. He might be a winger. He's talented. He's worth a look, but he's not ready. So looking at it, the fallback was, let's go to Thomas Muller again. He's not a nine. He hasn't been a nine in quite a long time. He can't play that way anymore. So there was no one left to take over, which leads us to where they're at right now. Two of the names that were on the list that have somehow come off the list, and to me, I don't get it. And They both have positives and negatives, but Dusan Vlahovic from Juventus is allegedly not on Bayern Munich's list anymore, which is a shame to me because I feel like he is a player that could be affordable, that still has great potential, and that just probably needs a change of scenery. We saw what that change of scenery did for Matthijs De Ligt. De Ligt went from really, I don't want to say, okay, I'll say it, out of shape at Juventus to fully informed by midseason here and has turned into an absolute monster of a center back. Perhaps you could argue he is the best player on the team right now. And if you check out my weekend warm-up column, you'll have my takes on where some of these players st- stack up against each other. But Delict, you would have a tough time arguing, has not been great. He just needed to get out of Juventus. He needed to be in a more disciplined, more rigorous program to get the best out of himself. And I honestly think if you got Vlahovic, that's what would happen if you b- brought him to Bayern Munich. And I think he's somewhat affordable. He's not in the nine-figure realm that you're going to see from you know, Victor Osimhen or Randall Colomuani or Harry Kane, those players that are going to demand, the clubs are going to demand that for them. I think just canceling out Vlahovic right now is a mistake. Uh, and I'll tell you what bolstered my belief in Vlahovic was hearing Marcus Iredell say that he probably would be a good fit for Bayern. And I said, I don't like Marcus is a savant, right? He, he is a great guy for one, but two, he knows a lot about the game. I do respect everyone on the BFW staff and what they say, but hearing him talk about Vlahovic last week on the flagship podcast made me really think about it because he had been a player I was kind of on the fence about. I liked certain things about him, but also acknowledged there were red flags. And I'll say this, if Byron is passing up a chance on him, I think they're making a mistake because I think of all the options out there in terms of affordability and potential, he's he's probably a great fit. Now, the other name that was taken off the list was Nicholas Fulkrug, who is very divisive among not just the BFW community, but Bayern fans everywhere. Fulkrug is, to me, he's not the most talented guy. He's not the most skilled guy. But what he does have is a knack for finding space, a nose for the goal, and the ability to score. He can finish. He does a very good job. And, you know, you could point back to how he performed for Germany. And the fact that Hansi Flick didn't use him was a crazy mistake. Does the guy look like a world-class striker? Probably not. Does he always play like one? No. But what Germany needed was just somebody to tap the ball in. Just someone to finish those easy chances, which they didn't have in the World Cup. Fulkrug can do that. He absolutely can do it. And he's cheap as hell. I mean, you're talking somewhere between 10 to 20 million at the very, very top end, which they probably won't get. Would he be a fit? I think he would. I think he would buy you a year or two. I think he would. I'm being very honest about that. I don't listen. He's not a long-term solution, but if you need time to get it together, 
think you could do a lot worse than him, especially the number that 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 Werder Bremen is going to command for him. I would absolutely take full Krug in a heartbeat. So seeing those two players taken off the list, that was that was disappointing. The other names we've we've spoke about at length. Harry Kane is very doubtful for a number of reasons. He's just not leaving it. With the cost and the fact that he's not has no desire, I, I just don't think Bayern Munich can get him. Victor Osman reportedly wants to play for Bayern Munich. Napoli has no interest in selling him right now. And if they're going to sell him, they're going to want, with the way he's played and the season he's had, you're not just talking about $100 million, You're probably talking about $150 million. I, It's not going to be easy to get him. Randall Kolobwani, the other hot name. I don't know enough about him. I've seen him play. I can't decide if he's a better fit as a pure nine or as a wing. I think he could actually do both. Is he the top level type of striker that Bayern Munich needs? I don't know. I've got some doubts about it. I also have some doubts about anybody that plays striker at Eintracht Frankfurt these days. And I think I touched on that last week and explained why. So I'm not sure any of those three players are worth it. The other name we saw this week was Atalanta's Rasmus Hoyland, who a very intriguing prospect. Uh, I think he's got a lot of potential. I don't know that he's ready for that kind of role yet either. So you're back in this mode of not really having a realistic target. And this is where, you know, as Ralph Ranić said this week, not going after Erling Haaland when he was at Red Bull Salzburg is still coming back to bite Bayern Munich in the ass. <laughs> and you could point back that Bayern Munich had a chance to go out and get him then. And of course, we can see why they did not. Robert Lewandowski was at the peak of his game, was excellent at that point. And you kind of get it. But nonetheless, it's the truth. Like you lost out on a chance to get the player who was going to be able to lead the club into the next generation as the nine. Uh, and we see how that's working out for Man City right now. So I don't know where Bayern Munich goes from here. Those are the rate, latest rumors. It's going to be all the same names. We'll probably see players like Hoyland start to come in a little bit and other guys we haven't been giving a lot of attention to start to be linked. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of time spent this summer on Bayern Munich trying to whittle down the price on players like Osaman or Randall And I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to be, it's going to get to a level where Bayern's very comfortable in playing or paying, I should say. Normally, I do a recap on what I'm watching and what I'm watching right now is The Mandalorian. I did see last week's episode, did not get to this week's episode yet. So I will refrain and I'll probably just do like a kind of like a recap of everything up to date next week, just because it's been so crazy with this Bayern Munich coverage of late. I, I literally between that and my personal life, I have not had any time to watch anything. So I will skip on the uh, entertainment rundown this week. I will write about it because I, I plan on watching the latest episode of The Mandalorian later today, today being Thursday, and I will be able to at least write the recap for that in the weekend warm-up column. So you'll get to see it there if you want my thoughts. But that's it for this week. Uh, I know it's been a crazy one. I appreciate the audience out there for hanging in with us. Thanks for all of your support of this podcast. Thanks for all of your support for the website. We appreciate everything you guys are doing and interacting with us there and checking out the site and the podcast. It does mean a lot to us. So thank you for that. If you want to get in touch with me, you can always get me on the site, but you can get me also at the barrel blog on Twitter. Probably need to up my followers count because it's, it's kind of lacking. So if you haven't given me a follow yet, please do. 
Uh, occasionally I put out some funny stuff uh, occasionally, depending on what your sense of humor is, but you get me at the barrel blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweet Meister, Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get, I need no name at BFW You can get all of our talented podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We will have all the coverage of the minds match. We'll have all the latest transfer rumors and have everything covered that is going on with Bayern Munich. Yes, folks, including the grass, you know, Bavarian grass works will be there for all of your ongoing coverage of this grass drama that we have at the Allianz arena. Thanks again for listening. Have a couple of beers on me. We'll see you next time.